0: Good morning, everybody. If you'd like to stand and worship with us, special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again. If you're not, glad to have you. i Jesus thank you that you are everything we need it's all wrapped up in you and we think we need all these things but just direct our eyes to you so we can find all things I pray that that would be your work today according to your will may your kingdom come may your will be done in this place in our hearts and for your wonderful name we pray amen count the ways that you have multiplied our faith the wisdom of your ways the currents of your grace expressed in every moment every wave in the longing of our souls, in the darkness where we go, you are there, you are love, you are all together good. In the weakness of our faith, in the silence where we wait, you are here, you're enough. You are all together good. Through our joys and in our griefs, you have led us to believe the wisdom of your ways, the currents of your grace express. Our only hope for all our days. In the longing of our souls, in the darkness where we go, you are there, you are love, you are all together good. In the uniqueness of our faith, in the silence where we wait. You are there you're enough you are all together good you are all together good
1: Seat. I hope, uh, hope you're like me, uh, that was just a good way to begin the first day of the week, celebrating our love for the Lord and recognizing all of the things that He has done in His grace to bring us into not only His presence, but His family. And there is so much about living in that vital relationship with Him and with each other, that we've been exploring in the book of Philippians, which I've been very excited to kind of go through that with you, and so grateful for Matt who did a fantastic job last week. Lots of takeaways there. Uh, appreciated that a lot, and um, and, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna kind of round the bin here, and we're gonna be probably just two more messages in here, this one and the next one, and then we're done with Philippians, and we're gonna hike back. Uh, into some other territory that will uh, eventually get us back to Luke. Uh, So I wanted to say a couple of things by way of announcement. Uh, One of them is we are uh, thinking a lot about Advent around here because we're almost there. Uh, Christmas tree decorations are coming out. a Little bit ahead of the game in my book, I'm a Thanksgiving celebration person everything in its own time, Uh, but after that, we know what happens. And in our church, we do Advent, which is the annual rhythm of anticipation uh, of the coming of Jesus. And uh, we put together an Advent devotional guide, and this is gonna correspond with the message series, and then ultimately uh, Christmas Eve, which will be on a Friday this year, Uh, it will be just sort of a culmination of everything. So you got to read this to get there. This is part of the journey. So these are free. Uh, They're in the back Uh, if you want a hard copy. And uh, you can also contact the office or get online and and get one that's a digital version uh, if that's the way you like to go. Uh, But very excited about Advent this year. Um, It's just nice to be able to do something kind of. Normal, it's you know, about two years since a lot of things have happened, and it's just good to get back in the groove again, isn't it? Well, I also wanted to um, ask if there was anything you guys had on your hearts this morning that we can either be praying about for one another or we can uh, lift up uh, in a word of praise. Anyone have anything that's a burden that you brought in, Rachel? Oh, good, good. Glad to hear that. You, you've had the exact same experience, haven't you? Yeah, I'm glad that you're a voice in her world. Yes. Yeah, okay. A- anybody else? Pat? Yeah, uh, Laura Heastan Okay, pray for Laura Heastan. Uh, has a cancer diagnosis, so keep her lifted up. Anybody else here? Diane? So, your son in law, Alan Butler, recovering from cancer surgery. Keep him lifted up because obviously it's a little bumpy going back home again. Yeah. Okay. Peg's all right if I mention you and our prayer concerns. Just keep you lifted up. I know you have had a cancer diagnosis and it's obviously a little, a little overwhelming. So, keep Peg lifted up as well. All right. Yeah, Diane. Uh-huh. Hill, after all our prayers, is not going to have to have chemo this week. Oh, praise the Lord. So yeah, Scale Yes, Gail Hill, so and very good. They think that she, her chemo will be shortened. Uh-huh. They said she can go to school in jail. Oh. oh, praise the Lord. That, that, is, that is such yeah. good news. I don't know if you know Gail or not, but her journey has been a pretty, it rough. Yeah, it's been a rough one. But her big goal has been to get this... Um, certification out of the way and god's opened some doors and then the cancer hit and she's like what are we doing here lord but you know what with the lord he is always working through the messiness of it all praise the lord for that okay Uh uh-huh Okay, that's your daughter-in-law, Amy? Yes, Amy, and okay. she um, had surgery on it. It's a mm-hmm. surgery that's not actually approved by the FDA because there's nothing else they can do to this doctor. Wow. keep Amy lifted up, your daughter-in-law, Diane, with um, these concerns with her eyes and with her work as well. Okay. I see anybody else. All right. I don't mean to slight anybody if if I miss you. Uh, Let's go ahead and just take these things before the Lord and trust that he will be active in all of them. Father, we are grateful that you are not only real and alive, but you are active. And the more that we open ourselves up to you, the more you come close. And the more we see the transformative effect that you have on our lives when we begin to trust you and know that you have a way of working things together for good, even in the worst possible situation. Because you know the beginning from the end, and you see clearly our burdens, but you also see where you're going with each of our lives. And we thank you, Father, that when we feel alone and afraid and overwhelmed, that you are not far. And we're grateful that as we take all of the concerns that we've mentioned this morning, And we just bundle them and bring them before your throne and lay them at your feet. We trust, Father, that you will help everyone with the needs and the concerns that they anxiously bring into this room. And we pray, Father, that you would do a good work in each life that we have mentioned. We thank you, Lord, for the things that we can praise you for because we take time. We look at the things we prayed for, Father and trusted you with in our moment of doubt or uncertainty. And then we come back and we say thank you, Lord, for being with us, for helping us, for healing us. And I'm so grateful for being with Gail and just this journey that she's been on. And I pray, Father, that you just bring health back to her whole being and an opportunity to move into her purpose as an RN. I pray, Father, for... Uh, just the things that we have had at work in this church. I'm so glad to see you coming alive in so many lives, and I'm so grateful for the just the the activation of the spirit to be prepared for the opportunity, as Matt shared uh, last week, and was reiterated in our in our Bible study the other night. Father, we do want to be open and aware to the opportunities that are in the moment, where you have orchestrated things for so long, and you're saying, "Church, here it is." Help us to have eyes to see what you see. Thank you, Father, for this friends' giving that we're able to to host today, and the Thanksgiving uh, uh, um, spread that we're going to be doing on Thursday, and just grateful for all of the enthusiasm that we've had for that and just the things coming up regarding advent and how that calibrates our hearts and our minds for being uh, in a state of anticipation for the birth of your son fully aware that the incarnation of your son in this world changes everything and it's worthy of revisiting every year so we pray for your blessing upon our church as we get aligned in heart and mind and spirit in the celebration of the birth of your son and everything leading up to it. And Father, for those things that um, we have that haven't been mentioned but are still on our hearts, we pray that you would attend to those as well as only you can. And Lord, we thank you that you call us to be a peculiar people, living with eyes that see and also eyes that see the things from the point of view of the kingdom. Such a different way of looking at life, but so helpful. And so, Father, bless our church to have eyes of faith. And give us, Father, a heart and a mind that follows you in a trusting obedience as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, um, if uh, unless I'm missing something, let's just take a few minutes and uh, explore a little bit about what Paul has to say uh, to uh, first the people in Philippi, and now uh, as it relates to us, how we hear his voice in the book of Philippians. So if you want to turn to your device or your Bible or even the screen, uh, we'll be checking that out, and hopefully you'll walk away from here saying, yeah, I heard something from the Lord today, and I need to act on it. Um, I'm pretty excited about the passage of Scripture that we're reading today because um, it it goes into a place that has been so helpful for me for so long as a believer. And there is so much about the way of life that we live in just the, 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 the horizontal plane where we look at the challenges of the world, we look at the challenges of our country, we look at the struggles that we have in our community, and then we think about our own personal lives and how it is that in a world of so much turmoil and chaos and in a lot of ways, hopelessness. We have to have something that helps us to keep from going into a state of despair. And I know I've mentioned this before, but um, suicide rates have been at at a very high level in the last couple of years. And we've heard the stories of people around us at young ages dying uh, in, in ways that are somehow connected to COVID. And we find ourselves not only uncertain and afraid, but also wondering, is there a place that we can stand in that establishes our hope? And what's so interesting about that is the Apostle Paul had a host of similar concerns, not exactly the same as you and I bring into this room, But they they have a lot to do with what Christians face when they try to live a life that is different from the script of the world. I mean, if if you listen to the news every night and, you know, they're saying this is bad and this is going to go off the rails. And then next night it's a new story about how this is bad and how this is going to go off the rails. Well, you listen to that long enough and then pretty soon you're like, hmm, it's all bad and it's all going off the rails. What do you do? Well, there are other narratives about the things that are happening in the world that are not sourced in the news cycle. They're sourced rather in the story of the Bible and what God is up to in all this stuff I just mentioned and in your life and in the struggles that you are going through and in the things that are doubts and uncertainties, things that you or trying to resolve, God says, I get it. I get it more than you would ever know. And from his point of view, he had a vision for the way it should be. And the way it is now is not the way that vision was supposed to unfold. And when Paul is writing this letter, he says a lot of powerful things in the chapters leading up to this. But this is for me where the the wheels hit the pavement, and he starts off by talking about a couple of women in the church. There's Yodia and Syntyche. I I don't know if that's how they pronounce it or not, but um, they're not in the room with us, so they won't be offended. But I do know this, uh, if you were to translate roughly what those two names mean in English, Yodia means success and Syntyche means fortune. So those are pretty cool names, right? Success and fortune. Parents were thinking, I'm going to call you success, so you better live up to your name. And then the other one is like, we're going to call you fortune, so you're lucky. And you know, I don't know if that was what they were thinking, but obviously there was a point in time where these women were disconnected from that larger story that we're talking about. And they were of a state of mind that we just got to make our way in this world and do the best that we can, but forces are working strongly against us. And then something happened that changed them. They heard the gospel. 21 times in this little book, Paul says the word, gospel so you can tell it's on his mind these ladies benefited from it so well that they became active in their faith to a degree that they were labeled by paul as co-workers and companions and people that are part of this group of friends that he has that are mentioned in his writings who As he does his work, he knows he's not doing it alone. I mean, in the book of Romans, for example, at the end of it, he mentions 29 people, 10 of which are women. And he basically says, this is my posse. You guys are helping me to get it done. And we got a couple of ladies here that are helping him to get it done, but obviously there's something going on that they're not aligned on. One's going this way and one's going the other way because he's saying, yes, I ask you, also true companion help these women who have labored side by side with me, language that he uses to talk about some pretty esteemed characters like Paul and Epaphroditus. He says, um, they've labored with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And his concern is that there's a, there's a conflict going on between them of some sort. But here's the thing, I don't think Paul's trying to embarrass them, it would be like saying, okay, Rachel, you and uh, Susie, come up here, you guys have a problem, we're just going to air it out in front of everybody. I mean, who wants that, right? Um, Paul actually never mentions the name of people that he's calling out or taking to the woodshed. Like in 1 Corinthians, for example, you, know, you have this kind of sordid story about a guy, Crossing boundaries with his stepmom, and Paul calls him out. He doesn't mention his name. He doesn't say, Oh, I'll just make up a person. George over here, hey, George, we're just going to embarrass you in front of everybody. Step up your game. George You'll probably never come back to church ever again. But he just says, You know that dude. And the only person that Paul has ever sort of called out publicly, he does mention in Galatians, and that's Peter who should really, 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 really know better. So the thought on this is, their issue isn't so much, well, Rachel and Susie, well, they had a tiff, and now they're taking sides. Now there's gossip and words being exchanged. The belief is, Rachel's saying, we need to do the gospel this way, and Susie's saying, no, we need to do it this way. And it really is a question of strategy. Are you agreed on what you want to accomplish together in the strategy? You know, we do that every time we plan something. You know, we go through a process. God's given us a vision, and then we kind of get together with some people, and we start cooperating on it, come up with a plan, a strategy, and then, you know, go through the process of, hopefully, with the Lord's enabling, making it happen. And somewhere in that breakdown, these two gals were saying, We're doing it this way and the other one's saying no we're doing it that way that's why alignment is so important in this book he's saying you know be of the same mind i mean that's a word he uses 10 times here 10 times he's saying you guys need to be of the same mind you need to be aligned and that word that he uses for it is only mentioned about 25 times in the whole new testament so this is a big deal you two gals i love you But you guys got to come to some kind of understanding on how you're going to do the gospel. So Paul is in prison, and he's thinking about this church, and he really wants it to thrive because it is, well, there's a couple things about Philippi, and I mentioned some in the past because, you know, I think last time I spoke, went into all this history and all this stuff, and some of you were snoring over here, and you guys were struggling over here, and (laughs) melatonin was kicking in, but... The reason I shared that was because this is a special place. Um, there's a lot of history here that um, feeds into where this community was at on the Roman Empire map. And, and it had a lot of very high-functioning people that were extremely bright, able And could get things done. And Paul says, I'm going to start there with them, and then that's going to go out into the rest of the world. And people will hear that word I've mentioned 21 times, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And these two ladies, along with uh, Lydia in Acts 16, well, they're, they're, they're a pretty big deal in this church. In Philippi, it was more progressive, and so women were doing a lot more stuff in that community. Pretty much everything that the men were doing. The Roman Empire is such a mixed bag of what women can do and what they can't do. And in some parts, it's like, just sit over there, keep your mouth shut, and dress right. And in Philippi, it's, hey, let's get it done. And as Paul is looking at these two gals, he knows that their job is a little bit more than just providing danishes for the, for the small group gathering. They're, they're doing something. And he's trying to put in a little bit of perspective Paul never mentions putting uh, this in the context of your name being written in the Lamb's book of life. But what Paul is saying actually is, yes, your name is written there, and that's a pretty familiar way of saying this is where it's all headed. And as that unfolds, he's also saying this. He's saying that, we have to find a way to make peace in the small things like alignment the larger things like the disagreements that we get into and the mega things like the world needs peace it actually needs the prince of peace and as I've read these passages for years, the one thing I've discovered is peace is the one thing that keeps us sane. It keeps us healthy. It keeps us in a state of thriving because the opposite of peace, you know, is chaos and turmoil, things that cause us to be preoccupied almost to a point where we're just in a state of fight or flight all the time. Because we're not sure. It's a word in the Bible that actually carries a lot of of power. Maybe you've heard this word. Because Paul will get into it in a second. Where he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, Christians, but in everything, and this really is, you you got to take this with you, by prayer, trusting God with it, supplication, praying over and over, trusting that all the aspects of it will be met as you move through your anxious things. But don't forget to be thankful. You know, my my wife was so grateful just to be able to do programs again at her school. It was kind of like it was a big itch that had to be scratched. And she said, You know, this year I'm going to do something completely different. I want people to begin to understand, in all the sniping and all the backbiting and all of the trolling maybe we should look around and express some gratitude so she retooled this whole program for the fourth graders around gratitude and part of the buildup was they went and they did something for the community then they did something for the elderly with the kids and then they came back and they did a program celebrating the things that they were able to do they wrote thank yous to as many people as they as they could think of and I said to my wife, I said, you know, I don't think we're going to learn how to do this stuff over again because we've gotten into such a negative state about picking everything apart. We have to relearn again the sense of looking around and saying, oh, that's good, that's good, that's good. I'm grateful. I'm so glad you did that. I'm so glad they're there. And Paul says... You can never forget gratitude. It is part of the whole bundle. And he's telling them, when you pray, in your anxiety, when you give it to the Lord, something begins to happen. Well, I think rejoicing as he, as he started out. But he also says, um, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will be like a citadel around your heart and your minds in Christ. And I use that word intentionally because it doesn't take much, does it, to find your world disrupted, to have somebody say something kind of coming at you sideways, something that triggers you to where you're like, Oh, man, my day was going good until I heard that. Now I'm trying to wrap my mind around that, and it's making me anxious, and it's put a whole new cast on everything. And Paul is saying that when things happen that destroy your peace, there's a remedy. And if you're a Christian, you really, really need to know this remedy because peace is so much a part of the plan that God has for all of creation. And so I'm going to explore this first section a little bit by asking two questions. And the first one is, well, what is the peace of God? Because Paul says it surpasses all understanding, which means that uh, can words carry the freight of, of it because you said it surpasses all understanding. Or is he saying something else? There is a peace that is not from this world. You know, the Romans said, we have guns, we have bullets, we have peace, right? Right? And Jesus said, we're not doing it that way. We're bringing it from heaven to earth like we prayed in the Lord's Prayer. And then how can I live it and live in it every day of the year? And I believe you can. Because... Peace is something that is heavy on the mind of God. Uh, Nicholas Wolterstorff, if I'm pronouncing this right, said this about peace. He said, the peace which is shalom, that is the Old Testament idea of grounded well-being that lives in the assurance that God is not only watching over them, not only caring for them, but he's enabling you to be blessed and thrive. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good. That, among other things, is what shalom is. And so he expands by saying, it's not merely the absence of hostility, it's not merely being in a right relationship. Shalom, at its highest, is enjoying one's relationship. Um, Enjoying, let me see if I get that right, because there's a kink in the screen. Um, Shalom is about the enjoyment in one's relationship. To dwell in shalom is to enjoy living before God and to enjoy life. I was was 18, and I was hanging out with a friend that I really kind of looked up to. He's about four years older than myself, and everything he did, I'm like, I want to be like him. I remember there were some people that came up to us, and we were talking, and they were just kind of dour and bitter, and he told them, he said, you know what your problem is? You just don't know how to enjoy life. Mark was pretty good about enjoying life. Matter of fact, we did a lot of things together where we thought we were enjoying life, and then all of a sudden we realized we made a lot of wrong turns, and it wasn't so good. And... I wanted to find that deeper joy, I don't know where he went. But what I did discover is he was looking for it too. I mean, just last year I thought, I wonder what Mark is doing. And I did a thing that I don't do very often. I'm like, I'm gonna stalk him on Facebook. So I get on there, you know what Mark is doing? He is writing music For his church, I'm like, he found that deeper joy. He knows how to truly enjoy life in the way that God designed it. And Shalom, the peace of God, actually encapsulates, if you take your Bible and you say, well, what's this book all about? got Old Testament, New Testament, got Jesus, people dying, people in the Old Testament dying, bad things happening, lots of chaos, but cool things happening where God shows up. And in all that mishmash of the messiness of the story, here's what it's all about. In the opening chapters, God said, I made that out of the chaos. It's now put in order. It's good. I made that out of the chaos. It's put in order. It's good. I made the, the, the sky and I put things in order relative to the moon and the stars, and it's good. I've made the earth, and I separated land. It's good. And then those two people, I made them. I made the first one, and then out of his side, made another one according to the story, and it's very good. Until those two wrecked it, along with some unseen minions, and one in particular, and God's like, oh, my goodness, the story has gone off the rails. It's bad. It's bad it's going off the rails. And he looks at him, and he said, you didn't follow the creational design. Gave it all to you, and he said, not enough. I want more. That one thing. God said, that wasn't part of the agreement. You didn't stay within the boundaries that you racked it. I'll tell you what, you made your choices, now your choices are going to make you. Adam, you work the ground now, have fun, but I'll tell you what, it's not, the ground's not going to cooperate because you do not have peace with the ground anymore. And even when you have a child, here's your choice, how it's made you, it's going to be painful, and it's going to be difficult. And for a very, very long time, about half the time, somebody would die. You made your choice. You think that's a good way to go? You think my design is not the way to go? Have at it. And of course, he looks at Lucifer and he says, you were with me in heaven. You should know better. So we're going to reduce you down even farther. And it's all pejorative language about when you try to design creation from the standpoint of the, of the very small mind of a human being and say, I want to do it my way, you quickly discover that your way has a lot of flaws. The engineering of it breaks down. It's kind of like the supply chain right now. It's kind of like trying to get some coffee at the store or at the, at the, at the food place. And they're like, it'll be 15, 20, 30 minutes before you get it. That kind of breakdown. God saw it and he said, the reason why it's not working is because it doesn't follow my creational design. But in time, God had a very, very, very long game. And he was just looking way out across the timeline, and he said, but I'm bringing it back. I'm going to restore it. Because I know how much shalom means to them and to me and to us together and to the whole makeup of all of creation. I've seen it, I know it, I made it. And they don't get it, but I'm bringing it back. And when I do, well, the end of the book tells you what happens when he does in this beautiful language in the last two chapters. Of shalom, completely and fully restored. And you may say, Pastor, that's a pretty grand vision. I, I just want a little peace in my house. You know, I want to be able to go home and not have noise and chaos and argument and conflict. I just need a little peace inside my soul because I'm having to escape into things like alcohol or who knows what just so I can get away from the noise a little bit. That's all I need, pastor. I don't need some grandiose vision about stuff that may or may not come. And Paul understands that not all of us are, you know, we're not, we're not fully into the understanding of the design, and that's okay. So he's trying to help us along the way to see it. And so here are four relationships of Shalom. That is the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I use real. Actually, it was a typo. And I'm like, no, nah, I kind of like it. Because I found that when I'm real with God, it starts to go in a good direction. God, yeah, I'm hiding this. God, yeah, I need you. God, yeah, struggling. God, yeah, I'm helpless. Ourselves. If we get inputs that are bad, we may say, I just want to tune that out. I don't want to hear it. I don't, want to, I don't want to look at that part of myself. I can't do anything about it. No, maybe not, but God can. Then there's the other people. I've noticed something over time. When I speak the truth and love to other people or they speak the truth and love to me, they're calling out that elephant in the room or that thing that is sort of in the air that we know is a disagreement but we just don't want to go there. And so we're not really being honest. And maybe that's not only with yourself, with your family, but the people around you. It seems like when we just deal with stuff in humility before the Lord and each other, that shalom starts to come back. And I'm here to tell you, I have never had a problem that in my mind, that I said, God can't solve this. That in my better mind, I took it to God and I said, I really don't want to deal with this, but here we are. God hasn't said, well, it's about time. And let's go to work. And you find yourself in a different mind, in a different place, saying, I don't know why I stayed stuck in that thing for so long. God's saying, I do. You're willful. You're stubborn. You're prideful. You don't want people to know. You don't want me to know. You don't even want to know. But what you're doing is you're bottlenecking the flow of the peace of God which passes all understanding to come into your life. You're bottlenecking the shalom that I truly want to see you enjoy, but you're you're pretty obstinate. I, I get it. After having kids, I'm like, you're making a choice that will, that will end you up here. And I know this because I did it, and I ended up there. And I tell them, you're going to end up there. And they're like, yeah, whatever. So they make the choice, and then a few times I've seen them kind of end up there, and I'm like, I didn't say I told you so, but I'm like, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> wanted to say I told you so, but God probably wants to say that a lot to you and I too. Everything about the created order, by design, was intended to be characterized by real relationships. It's God's creational purpose to restore that in this church, in your heart, in your family, in your workplace. But the only way that we can do it is to be honest about the things that are in us that get in the way. But he will restore it if we're honest. And the only thing I've discovered about being honest with people is they tend to be more gracious because you're not, well, you're not feeding them a load of cow manure. And God's saying, it's just right there. But there is a critical ingredient that is missing and Paul's been talking about it for a long time the only way this can ever happen is if Jesus is smack dab in the middle of every one of those relationships we cannot connect to God without him we really can't help ourselves without him helping us and actually coming alive in us and when it comes to my relationship with other people I'll start with my wife we have two strong willed people in this equation, and the only way that the, the thing gets properly refereed is when we say, Yeah, we got to bring God into this. And then, funny thing, it works out time and time again. And there's creation, but that's another sermon. So, for our purposes, Paul is looking at this church and he's saying, I want the shalom of God to thrive in this place. Matter of fact, he has an exhortation at the end of all of his letters, which characteristically says, you know, I got a few challenging words for you. Most of the time he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. And then after that he says, and may the peace of God be with you. And then he has a few concluding remarks, and that's kind of his style. But he always says, may peace of God be with you. Why is that so important? Because he understands that it is such, well, it's it's, it's a keystone aspect of the whole thing. And so shalom can be recovered in this way. When we get honest about our faith. And I have loved some aspects of post-COVID, if you want to kind of post-ish COVID-ish. That's this. I've seen a lot of you guys have a lot of things in your life burned to the ground. And a lot of you guys have said, the only place I have to go right now is the Lord. With a a level of seriousness that I've never seen before. do Do you follow me? I mean, it's happened to me too. And I think a lot of it is just being honest. I, Lord, I haven't put you first in things that, well, let's just leave it at that. We get honest in our relationship. The one thing that I've discovered is it just kind of, COVID has kind of brought to the surface all of the bad, so you've got to say, yeah, I've got to own that.